you have your copies of Scripture, if you will, turn to the 23rd Psalm, Psalm 23. Um, been reminded uh, this week, especially um, of the hardship and struggle and suffering and pain that uh, people all of us experience in the course of life. Um, just this past week, uh, we received news of a young lady that grew up at Scotts Hill that passed away, uh, uh, Brianna Fry. Um, some of you may remember uh, Bill and Susie, and um, last Sunday they found her in, uh, uh, in a lake, uh, had drowned. I'm not sure the circumstances involved there. Uh, later on during the week, I uh, received a call of a, uh, a mother reaching out, trying to find some help for her son as he uh, struggles with addiction. Um, received another call of death and participated in a memorial service on Tuesday. And then Monday evening, uh, received a call that my aunt, who lived here in Wilmington, passed away and um, participated and uh, dealt with her funeral on Friday. I'm not coming with that with a tone of sadness. I'm just reminded uh, that those things happen every day. Uh, and there are people who are struggling and suffering and hurting. And I am reminded of some of the things that uh, some of you are going through. Um, and it just causes my heart to go and to turn to God and to, uh, and to cry out to Him. The point is that we come here each week and we confess certain things corporately as we should. Um, but there is in the course of the corporate confession something that takes place and precedes that. And that is the personal an individual and private confession. And we can confess things here corporately as we should, but if we have not first met the Savior, and if we have not first confessed individually and personally, the corporate confession uh, is not meaningless, uh, but it will not make the difference in the individual's lives. So when we say that and sing, as we did just a moment ago, that the Lord is our salvation, um, I don't know if you called it or not, but before we sang the Lord is our salvation, we sang the Lord is my salvation. And because he is my salvation, if we've trusted in him, then he becomes ours as we confess that together. Um, the 23rd Psalm of probably all the passages of Scripture, with maybe the exception of John 3.16, is the one that is most familiar uh, with people at large. You see billboards uh, that uh, the Lord is my shepherd. We see cards, the Lord is my shepherd. In the same way that we see billboards with John 3.16, uh, for God so loved the world. It is common. We know of it. We hear it. Um, sometimes I think our familiarity uh, with it will cause us to not dwell on it in the same way, not hear it in the same way. Uh, so I'm hoping today uh, that in the few minutes that we have together uh, that we can 
visit this particular psalm uh, and leave with, uh, with a greater sense of richness uh, coming from it uh, than maybe we have in the past. I want us to do something that uh, uh, we do not do often here, uh, but I want us to read the text this morning uh, in unison. So uh, the better way to do that is if you can refer to your worship guide. That way we're all reading uh, the, same, uh, the same words, um, not assuming that everyone here has the, uh, the same, uh, same copy of Scripture and the same translation. Uh, so let's read along together. I'm hoping that in the course of our reading this, uh, that we can read it, and this is our personal testimony. Uh, if that is not the case for you, uh, as you read it, um, look into that. Uh, and our prayer is, is that uh, the Lord will work in your heart and that if it is not your personal testimony now, that it will be your personal testimony, maybe even today, but certainly soon. Psalm 23, let's read together. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside still waters. He restores my soul. He leads me in paths of righteousness for his name's sake. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil. My cup overflows. Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life, and I shall dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Let's pray together. Father, teach us from your word. Help us, we pray in Christ's name. Amen. Uh, I want us this morning to look at the context of Psalm 23. This is just a brief introduction. Um, my attention has been drawn to it uh, over the course of the last several weeks as I've given attention to the 23rd Psalm. Uh, we often quote the 23rd Psalm. I looked up and uh, many of you have it memorized. What's interesting is, is that it is placed in this book of Psalms, 150 Psalms, uh, and it is also interesting in how it is arranged in that book. Uh, I want us to look at it particularly in context where it rests between the 22nd Psalm and the 24th Psalm. So if you have your copies of Scripture, you're there at Psalm 23. I want you to back up in Psalm 22. I want to make a point because I want us to understand uh, the significance of this psalm and the significance of this confession. When we look at Psalm 22, I want us to hear the, uh, some of the opening words. And uh, for many of you, they will immediately begin to resonate. And you'll say, hey, I've heard that before. Psalm 22.1 uh, is a psalm that Christ himself quoted uh, whenever he was on the cross. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Why are you so far from saving me from the words of my groanings? Oh my God, I cry day by day, but you do not answer, and by night, but I find no rest. 
Yet you are holy, enthroned on the praises of Israel. In you our fathers trusted, they trusted, and you delivered them. To you they cried and were rescued. In you they trusted and were not put to shame. But I am a worm, and not a man, scorned by mankind and despised by the people, scorned, uh, and all who see me mock me. They make mouths at me. They wag their heads. He trusts in the Lord. Let him deliver him. Let him rescue him from the delights in him. When we read those words, we are reminded that we are speaking of someone who is suffering, someone who is in anguish. The Lord himself points back to that because he was suffering. He was in anguish. And we see that in Psalm 22. And then we hear in the 23rd Psalm, uh, the Lord is my shepherd. But I want you to look now at, at chapter 24. And then we hear these words. The earth is the Lord's and the fullness thereof, and the world and those who dwell therein. For he has founded it upon the seas and established it upon the rivers. Who shall ascend the hill of the Lord and who shall stand in his holy place? He who has clean hands and a pure heart, who does not lift up his soul to what is false and does not swear deceitfully, he will receive blessings from the Lord and righteousness from the God of his salvation. And such is the generation of those who seek him, who seek the face of the God of Jacob. I want you to see this. We have the suffering. We are relating it to Christ, the suffering of Christ. Then we see Christ as shepherd, uh, and I will argue that in just a moment. We'll see Christ as the shepherd, the shepherd of our soul, which enables us then to come into the presence of God. So don't let that be lost in the course of you looking at the 23rd Psalm when we quote, the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. And then we hear the last part in verse 6, surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life, and I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. You may want to write these words down, and we'll point to them as we work through this psalm. This will serve as uh, at, at least a framework of an outline in how we want to uh, view the psalm today. Uh, the very first thing that we will see and recognize, and we'll do it in kind of, you maybe want to do it in two columns. This is what this has to say about God, and then this is what this has in the way of bearing upon the one who trusts in God. First, we see God as a shepherd. The Lord is my shepherd, David says there in verse 1. So we see him as a shepherd. By the time we get to verse 4, David is no longer writing this psalm and speaking of the Lord in a third person, but I want you to notice that he speaks of him in the second person, and it becomes tremendously intimate. Notice what he says in verse 4, Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I'll fear no evil, for you are with me. And then from that point on, over the course of the rest of verse 4 and 5, David refers to you, to you. So we see him as a companion. So God is a shepherd, the Lord is a shepherd, and then he is also David's companion. And then we see uh, in the very last part of verse 6, we see uh, that he becomes the host and is the host of heaven. And I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. In other words, we are there in his house. So when I come to your house, 
you are the host. When you come to my house, uh, we are the host. And here we find that he is the host. Now, that's what we're going to say about God. And now I want us to look and see what kind of uh, impact that should have on us as a believer and what impact this had on David. First, we see David points to contentment. He said, I shall not want. In verse 1, the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. The second thing that we're going to see and to recognize, hopefully, is that uh, coming out of that, there is an assurance of everything that is promised in this psalm. The assurance rests in the fact that it is for his name's sake. I want you to look at the last part of verse 3. He leads me in paths of righteousness for his name's sake. So we have contentment, we have assurance. And then I want you to see that there is this security and safety that is built into this relationship. Uh, We're assured of that as well. Because in verse 4, even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I'll fear no evil. There is security in that. I will fear no evil, no matter what it is that I go through. And then he says, you're with me. There's safety. You're with me. You're my companion. Your rod, your staff, they comfort me. All of this is what God does in the course of this intimate relationship. So there's security and then there's safety and protection in that. And then I want you to look in verse 6. Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life. There's uninterrupted satisfaction. So that's going to serve as our outline. Now let's just work through the psalm here and hear what David has to say. I mentioned earlier that we gather here and we worship together corporately. Uh, and it is rich and we're commanded to do so. And it's rich and it's, uh, it's significant. It's helpful. It, it helps us. It's necessary. Uh, but as I said, uh, personal confession and worship precedes our corporate worship. Um, throughout the course of the Psalms when we're reading them, so much of it is centered on corporate worship. This Psalm is not one that does. Uh, This is a personal, uh, intimate um, confession on the part of David. Verse 1, the Lord is my shepherd. Um, I think for, uh, uh, in a lot of ways, that is lost on us uh, it is a picture that is being painted. It's a, it's a metaphor. It's one that's used throughout Scripture. The Lord is my shepherd. Who is the shepherd that David is speaking of? He's speaking of none other than Christ. That's who he's speaking of. He's speaking of Yahweh. We hear us speak of Yahweh, and we'll, almost every service you'll hear something about the triune God. Uh, why is that? Well, we need to make sure that as even as we did today, we sing glory be to the Father, glory be to the Son, glory be to the Spirit, because God is at work in His persons in the course of all that He does. It is the Father that we know that is the author of all things. That is His responsibility in the course of the work uh, of Yahweh. It is Christ himself who is the one that uh, is, the, uh, is the artist in the picture, if you will. 
He is the one who creates. He is the one who brings about the very thing that the author has determined will take place. And then we have the Spirit. The Spirit of God is the agent that applies that to our hearts, that gives us understanding, that helps us see and know who God is. If it were not for the Spirit of God at work, those of you here today who have trusted Christ would not have trusted Christ. He is the agent that has made you aware, brought to you the very Word of God. And David recognizes that it is this Lord, and he is looking ahead even now, even in, even in his prophetic word, the Lord is my shepherd. He is envisioning, if you will, though he is not fully aware of this, he is envisioning this Christ, the, uh, the, 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 very, the Lord of his Lord. He's envisioning this Christ. Uh, and Christ himself said in John 10 that he was a good shepherd. So don't misunderstand that though we are in the psalm, this shepherd that David is pointing to and that is confessing, he is confessing that Christ is his shepherd. He says, the Lord is my shepherd. Again, our understanding of shepherds limited. Uh, most of us don't own sheep. Uh, we have little understanding of what it is to be a shepherd. I think sometimes, at least in my mind, uh, we see pictures of shepherds. And when we have come up in church and Sunday school, we see a shepherd sitting out with his back up against a tree or his head on a rock. And he's looking up in the sky and the sheep are just kind of out and around. And he's not too smart and the sheep aren't too smart. So there's just a, a, an unsmart person and unsmart sheep uh, that's just kind of wandering around out there and uh, doing whatever a shepherd does. Um, it has been said, though, that the shepherd in the Middle East uh, was one of the most intelligent people. They knew how to hunt. They knew how to take care of themselves. They knew how to fight. They were everything. They were kind of the man's man, if you will. Uh, they knew how to find food for the sheep. They knew how to find food for themselves. Uh, they could last for weeks and months out in the wilderness with nothing more than the rod, the staff, uh, and a sword or a knife. They could take care of themselves in the most difficult circumstances. Uh, they were the outdoorsmen of the day. They were the people that could survive in the wilderness. Uh, my point is, is that when David is looking ahead, he has been a shepherd, but he is not speaking here in terms of his shepherding. What he is saying is, is that I am a sheep and the Lord is my shepherd. And because he is the shepherd, because he is the great shepherd, because he is the good shepherd, there are certain things about David in his life that are made certain. And one is, we have already seen, he said, I shall not want. Now David's not saying that there are not going to be times that he is going to want things that he doesn't have. What he's saying is, is that I am content with what I have because it is the shepherd of my soul that is giving me and has given me everything that I have. In other words, I am not wanting because he is not good. 
All that he intends for me to have, I have, and in that, I'm content. We know that's true because when we go to the Apostle Paul, Paul doesn't say that he has never been in a time when he didn't want something. He said, no, there's been times that I have had needs that seemingly were not met. And I have had times when I just had everything that I could possibly want. But he says in Philippians that I am content in whatever state I'm in because, and he does not use the same words, but it is the reflecting back, because God is the one who has provided. So what he has provided, I am absolutely satisfied with because of who he is. Just, and I confess, and, and, and I would ask you to look at your own lives. Are you content with where you are? Are you content with what you have? Wherever you are right now in life, are, are, are you content with what you have? And if you are content, are you content because you realize that what you have has come from the shepherd, the one who cares most about you, the one who loves you most, the one who has created you, the one who has created you for, your good, for, for his good purposes, are you satisfied with where you are? Are you content? And is that contentment because you trust him that much? David said, I do, I do, I trust him that much. Because he is my shepherd, I am content, I am content. Notice what he says, he says, he makes me lie down in green pastures and he leads me beside still waters. It's been said of sheep, and this is just a picture for us, uh, sheep don't lay down in grass, they generally are standing and they're eating. The picture that David is painting here is sheep doing something here that sheep would not normally do. They are laying down because they are completely satisfied and they are resting in their shepherd. Why? Because he has everything there for them that they will need that he has determined that he would have for them at that particular time in life. He makes me lie down in green pastures and he leads me beside the still waters. In other words, he has brought peace in my life even when there are things about me and around me. That's the reason we just sang just a moment ago, this deep, deep love. It is underneath me and it is above me and it seals me and it grants me peace. This is not based upon circumstances. David does not have this pie in the sky view. What he does do, he has his eyes on the shepherd. They ask us today, is that who we see? Do we look at God as shepherd? the one who cares for us in such a way. Notice what he says in verse 3. He restores my soul. He gives me life. That's what David is saying. He gives me life. The picture of that is a, is a cast sheep. I did a little research on that. You probably don't even know what that is, and I didn't either. Uh, but a cast sheep. 
there is when sheep are in the field and they have uh, an abundance of wool or, or they're just big and fat and sassy, they can get on uneven ground and fall and turn over on their back and they are unable to right themselves. It's almost like a child. We've seen babies, they get on their back and then they're kicking and they're scrambling and they're trying to turn over and they can't turn over. Well, a cast sheep is in that same state. The difference is a child can lay there on his or her back and not die. If a sheep lays on its back, it'll die. It'll die. And that's the point that David is making. He restores my soul. He's thinking about being a sheep, a cast sheep. I cannot right myself. What he was saying is, is that I cannot right myself spiritually. And I cannot right myself physically. The emphasis here with David because of the intimacy of the relationship rests in the spiritual part of it. But he is helping us see this from a physical standpoint is that I can't right myself. You can't change your heart. You can't change your life. You can't save yourself. You can't forgive yourself. I was speaking with someone this past week, and uh, the idea of forgiveness came up in one of the comments, and it's not an uncommon, it's not an uncommon thing, but uh, the person had been told by another person that you must forgive yourself before you can receive the forgiveness of God. That's not true. That's not true. The forgiveness that we need is forgiveness from God, not forgiveness from ourselves. It is He who has been offended. And David knows this, and he says, You restore my soul. I'm cast. I can't right myself. I'm on my back. I am dying. If you don't intervene, if you don't intervene, then I have no hope. I want you to know that the Good Shepherd intervened. He intervened. And this is how he did it. Uh, He came to this earth. He took on the sin of those who would trust him. He took that sin and he went to the cross of Calvary. And it was from that cross that he cried out, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? He bore the wrath of God. And David is looking ahead and saying, And you gave me life. And apart from you, I would have no life. In the same way that the shepherd in the field, unless he is paying attention to his sheep, and if one becomes cast on its back, unable to ride itself, that sheep will die. That shepherd is going out, as we read in Luke's gospel uh, in our confession today. There is that picture of that shepherd going out to find that lost sheep. The sheep that somewhere along the way got turned over and could not join the rest of the flock. And the shepherd goes out and finds that sheep. That is exactly what David is saying. He gives me life. Notice what else he says in verse 3. He says, he leads me in paths of righteousness for his name's sake. For his name's sake. He created you. He created us. And it is for his name's sake that he saves. While you're there in the Old Testament, turn over to Ezekiel chapter 36. Ezekiel 
Look in verse 22. Ezekiel 36, 22. We hear this echoed about for the name's sake. This is a text that comes up and that Jesus himself points Nicodemus to in John chapter 3. But in verse 22, Therefore say to the house of Israel, Thus says the Lord God, It, listen, It is not for your sake, O house of Israel, that I am about to act. In other words, what I'm getting ready to do, and he's going to tell us what he's going to do. He said, I want you to know that it is not for your sake. It doesn't mean you're not going to benefit from it. It doesn't mean that it won't be the greatest thing that has ever taken place in your life. But he said, it is not for your sake, O house of Israel, that I'm about to act, but for the sake of my holy name. That's where the assurance rests. For the sake of my holy name, which you have profaned among the nations to which you came. And I'll vindicate the holiness of my great name, which has been profaned among the nations, and which you have profaned among them. And the nations will know that I am the Lord, declares the Lord God, when through you I vindicate my holiness before their eyes. I will take you from the nations, and I will gather you from all the countries, and I'll bring you into your own land. I'll sprinkle clean water on you, and you shall be clean from all your uncleanliness, and from all your idols I will cleanse you, and I'll give you a new heart and a new spirit I'll put within you, and I'll remove the heart of stone from your flesh and give you a uh, give you a heart of flesh and I'll put my spirit within you and I'll cause you to walk in my statutes and to be careful to obey my rules and you shall dwell in the land that I gave to your fathers and you shall be my people and I will be your God. Why? For his name's sake. David says, he leads me in paths of righteousness for his name's sake. He cleanses me. He forgives me. He makes me righteous. He leads me for his name's sake. And for that reason, he is absolutely assured of the care of the shepherd. Verse 4. Notice we had mentioned earlier, we're talking, we'll see just how intimate this gets. He said, even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death. In other words, even if things are difficult and hard, even when death comes. I don't know that I've used the 23rd Psalm in every funeral that I've ever preached. Uh, I've preached a lot of them. I have referred to the 23rd Psalm. And oftentimes, because we see this in the context of death, but the, the Psalm is really about life. It's not about death. But in the course of life and living and being led, led in paths of righteousness for the sake of God, even in being forgiven, even in being made alive, there comes the time when we see and experience difficult, difficult times, even uh, death. Even death. Notice what David says. I will fear no evil. In other words, death will not cause me to fear. Hardship will not cause me to fear. 
Sickness will not cause me to run in panic. Cancer will not turn me upside down. Cancer will not leave me in a state of fear and panic. Death of my child will not leave me in a state of fear and panic. Being crippled for the rest of my life will not leave me in a fear of state of panic. Why? Listen to this. For you are with me. In other words, if I have you, God, if I have you, that is all that I need. Everything else can go away. That is the degree that David is confessing the goodness of God and his trust in him. That's the degree. He said, all I need is you. All I need is you. If I have you, then I will fear nothing. I wonder today if our faith in God is a faith to that degree. If I have you, then all else, all else, whatever it is, I will rest in contentment in wherever I am, and I need no one but you. The fact is, is that we alone need God and God alone. That's the truth. That's who we need. David is confessing that and pointing to the fact that as we trust in him, our trust, our trust, because of what he has done and for his name's sake and because of who he is, there is nothing that will uproot us and turn us upside down. Why? Because he's with me. Now, let's go back to the, to the shepherd metaphor just a minute. Shepherd stayed with his sheep. Unless the sheep was in a sheepfold at some point in time, when they were in the field, the shepherd slept with the sheep, stayed with the sheep, walked with the sheep, led the sheep. The, sheep, the shepherd didn't follow the sheep. The sheep followed the shepherd. Sheep didn't have sense enough to go anywhere. In fact, if the shepherd didn't corral them and go get them and write them when they were cast, and if he did not lead them, sheep didn't have sense enough to go find food didn't have sense enough to go find water, didn't know where to go look. They don't have that mentality. That's the whole reason for this picture of us as sheep. In fact, when we get to Isaiah chapter 53, what do we hear? All we like sheep have gone astray. You know why? Because we don't have sense enough to go the right way. We don't have sense enough to protect ourselves. We really don't. Not in the course of this life. God has created us and that is the whole thing. We are unable to make things right in our life. And David said, but I don't have to worry about that. Because you are with me. You are with me. If you're here today and you've trusted Christ, you are not alone. That's the reason we look in John 10 is that he keeps us, he holds us, he is with us, he is with you. You don't have to fear. You do not have to fear. What a tremendous word of confidence that should fortify us. And if you're here today and you haven't trusted him, then know that if you do, if you just will, you 
will not be alone. You will not be alone. You will not die alone. You will not suffer alone. You may suffer. You will die unless the Lord returns. But you won't do it alone. That was his point. Then notice what he says. He said, your rod and your staff, they comfort me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. In other words, everything, you have everything that I need to protect me. You have a staff to draw me back in. You have a rod to give me a a tap here and there. But that same rod then will beat away the lion and the bear and the wolf and everything that would seek to destroy me. That's the picture that David has in mind. And because of that, I am comforted. I'm comforted. It fortifies the fact that I have nothing to fear. I'm comforted. Our comfort that we need in this life is in a relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ. There's a reason in John chapter 14 that Jesus himself said, he said, I'm not going to leave you as an orphan. I'm going to leave. It's necessary that I leave. In fact, you're going to really like the fact that I leave because I am going to send another like me, that comforter, and he will be with you in a way that I cannot be with you in the flesh physically. He will be with you because he will be in you and he will guide you. And he will speak my words to your heart. Notice what else he says in verse 5. Still, he's pointing back to you, O God. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. It's kind of interesting language, isn't it? You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. We might would think that he would prepare a table and do what? And have us sit down and eat with him, and he will do that. Might even be that, hey, you'll prepare a table before me, and you will provide everything for me so that I can gather with my friends. But that's not what he says. He said, you prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. Even when I have those who are around me seeking to destroy me, you provide for me, And you provide for me in such a way that it becomes clear to them that you are providing for me. I I thought about this text and just kept meditating on it, particularly after coming out of 1 Peter and looking at all the suffering and the struggling and and persecution and strife. And all of those things are taking place. And yet what happens in the course of that in a relationship with God, because he is our shepherd, he in those times lays forth the things that we need, again, for those times, and he draws attention to himself. We just read Ezekiel 36. God said, I do this for my name's sake. And what did he say he was going to do? He was going to change them, even though they had profaned his name in the midst of the people that they had been called to serve and attend, even though that had taken place. God was going to clean them. He was going to make them righteous. He was going to establish them. He was going to bring them from the nations. All of that pointing to himself is what he's doing. He's preparing a table before me. And he says what? He said, you anoint my head with oil. My cup overflows. Now, what does that have to do with sheep? What does that have to do with sheep? Well, sheep were in the field. 
there were flies that would come and get around their nose and their mouth and go up in their nostrils and lay their larva would cause the sheep to become sick. What did the shepherd do? The shepherd took olive oil and other ingredients that they would mix together and they would take and they would put oil on the faces of the sheep to keep the flies away. Why? To keep them healthy so that they wouldn't struggle and suffer and get sick. And he says, you anoint my head with oil. In other words, you anoint me, you take care of me in the way that you see fit to take care of me for my best interest. That is what David has in mind, and that is what the shepherd does. That is what the shepherd does. Verse 6, notice what he says. With all of this, he says, surely goodness and mercy. That word mercy could be translated, surely your goodness and your steadfast love. Your covenant love, because you are the Lord. The Lord is my shepherd because of your steadfast love. They will follow me all the days of my life. We refer to this a good bit. Brian, you probably more so than me uh, will turn to this, but I often turn to it. Romans chapter 8. Turn there if you will. This is what he has in mind. Paul says it this way. David said, surely goodness and mercy will follow me all the days of my life. We're talking about living and life. Paul says in Romans chapter 8, Verse 31, what then shall we say to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all, how will he not also with him graciously give us all things? Who shall bring any charge against God's elect? It's God who justifies. Who is to condemn? Christ Jesus is the one who died. More than that, who, has, who was raised, who is at the right hand of God, who indeed is interceding for us, who shall separate us from the love of Christ? That was the question that Paul posed. Shall tribulation or distress or persecution or famine nor nakedness or danger or sword? As it's written, for your sake we are being killed all the day long. We are regarded as sheep to be slaughtered. No, and all these things were more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am sure that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor rulers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. Why? Surely goodness and mercy will follow me all the days of my life. I want you to know today that if you've trusted Christ, you may not always feel loved by others, but you are always loved with this covenant love that God has for you, for His name's sake, which brings to you salvation and hope, and you are never apart from love. And if you're here today and you haven't trusted Christ, know that in trusting Him, 
You trust the one who is the lover and keeper of your soul. And if you have that love and you have him, you will never, can never be separated from him. And it is a love that exceeds all loves. A love to give you life and hold you and keep you for all eternity. Satisfied. Completely satisfied. Surely goodness and mercy will follow me all the days of my life. Uninterrupted satisfaction. That's what David is pointing to. And then he says this, And I shall dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Look back in 20, just down a few lines, in 24. Who shall ascend, in verse 3, Who shall ascend the hill of the Lord? And who shall stand in his holy place? He who has clean hands and a pure heart. In other words, he who has been led in paths of righteousness. Who does not lift up his soul to what is false and does not swear deceitfully. He will receive blessing from the Lord and righteousness from the God of his salvation. That is the one that will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Who? The one who says, the Lord is my shepherd. That is the one. I wonder today if that is your confession. The Lord is my shepherd. I wonder today if he is the one that you look to, that you rest in, that you follow. You're not leading him. He leads you. If you're not following him, then our call today is to follow him. Because apart from him, you will not be restored and you will not have life. You can't right yourself, you can't deal with your sin condition. The sin that separates you from him, you have no power in and of yourself to deal with it. You can't make yourself better. You can't determine in your mind that I'm going to do better, that I'm going to get good, I'm going to get right, I'm going to, I'm going to somehow or another win his favor by trying to be a really good person. You're not going to do that because you can't. If you're a believer here today, you know you can't because you know you still struggle with sin as we mentioned last week. Still struggle with it. That's the perplexing thing, is that we still struggle with it. So we are absolutely dependent upon the shepherd for everything. If you're here today and he is your shepherd, man, live this life in confidence. This is not a, this is not a heavy thing. This is an assuring thing that we can live and walk and will be with him in his presence for all eternity. Will you pray with me? Father, I thank you for just encouraging my heart, and I hope you've encouraged the hearts of, of all of us here today. Father, for the one maybe who hasn't trusted you, I ask, Lord, that you would even now in this moment draw him or her to yourself, and then just cause them to see that, that, that you are the good shepherd 
that Christ himself is the one who has bled and suffered and died and done the things that's needed to be done that we might have eternal life, that we may be forgiven. And then he keeps us and he holds us and, and that you and him and the Holy Spirit hold us in such a way and will hold them in such a way that nothing can take them, take us out of your hand and that we will never be separated from your love and we'll never be apart from you and we'll never be alone. Father, thank you for those promises that are in you. Father, help us as we live and walk in this way. Encourage us. And then, Father, use us to be an encouragement to others as we point people to you. In Christ's name, our good shepherd. Amen.